0: All right, let's turn to Psalm 119. Good to see everybody this morning. Uh, We're actually going to read, we're going to try to go through two sets, and so we'll have to move pretty fast. We are a little bit behind, so we're going to try to get caught up. So let's look at verse number 33. We're going to read verse 33 down through verse number 48 together, okay? So I'll read the text here. The Bible says, Teach me, O Lord, the way of thy statutes, and I shall keep it unto the end. Give me understanding, And I shall keep thy law, yea, I shall observe it with my whole heart. Make me to go in the path of thy commandments, for therein do I delight. Incline my heart unto thy testimonies, and not not to covetousness. Turn away mine eyes from beholding vanity, and quicken thou me in thy way. Establish thy word unto thy servant, who is devoted to thy fear. Turn away my reproach, which I fear, for thy judgments are good. Behold, I have longed after thy precepts. Quicken me in thy righteousness. Let thy mercy come also unto me, O Lord, even thy salvation according to thy word. So shall I have wherewith to answer him that reproacheth me, for I trust in thy word. And take not the word of truth utterly out of my mouth, for I have hoped in thy judgments. So shall I keep thy law continually forever and ever. And I will walk at liberty, for I seek thy precepts. I will speak of thy testimonies also before kings and will not be ashamed. I will de- and I will delight myself in thy commandments, which I have loved. My hands also will I lift up unto thy commandments, which I have loved. And I will meditate in thy statutes. Let's pray. Lord in heaven, thank you for the uh, Sunday school class here and everyone that's here, and as well as those that can't be here but are listening in. Thank you for your word, I pray, Lord, as we look at, of all, of all scriptures, this psalm, uh, whose main theme is the Word of God, I pray that you would help us to get a better understanding, get a, to be better equipped to live for you, walk with you, love you, obey you, uh, because of the effect and influence of your Word upon our life. So, Lord, please guide me to know what to say to help your people, help your people to embrace these truths, and and uh, apply them, and uh, just give us wisdom and help and teach us, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you would look at verse number 34, as I said, we'll move pretty quickly going through this, uh, these two uh, sets, these two, you can call them maybe octaves. Verse number 30, 34 says this, Give me understanding, and I shall keep thy law. Yea, I shall observe it with my whole heart. Now, we've already, already discussed the idea of what it means to keep God's law or follow the Lord with one's whole heart. That is not divided, no mixed motives. But it says, give me understanding, and I shall keep thy law. Here's one thing we need to keep in mind as we pray for understanding of God's Word. And, and you know, some people are more inclined to to read and study God's Word from, a, from a, an intellectual point of view. In other words, they, they like the knowledge. And others, especially when you read the Psalms, uh, there's, a, there's a great deal of the emotion in the, in, these, uh, in the Psalms. You know, you read about David, Psalm 40. I, you know, I, uh, I, somebody help me. Psalm 40 just slipped my mind. I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined unto me. You know, there's the, the strong emotion involved in that. But the Scripture has both, so that those that want knowledge oftentimes fall into this trap, um, which is they ask for understanding, they want to know what the Bible says, they want to know why the Bible says it, they want to know the details. But here's the principle. Give me understanding, in the next, the next uh, sentence, and I shall keep thy law. God doesn't give away knowledge just for, knowledge, just for the sake of knowledge. When God gives us knowledge, He gives it to us. His decision to give us knowledge is based upon our willingness to use it. Right? He doesn't give us knowledge just to inflate our ego. He gives us knowledge to enable us to, to, in other words, as a way for His grace and help in our lives to keep His commandments. So this is why so many atheistic types can say, I've read the Bible. I've been to church. I know all about that. But you still, you still are in the same place you were before in your, in, in your relationship to God. You know why? Because they wanted the knowledge with no intention to obey to keep his law, which is what the verse says. And so they didn't get it. And so God withholds it. But the basis of our asking for understanding, you can't ask God for understanding unless you're willing to obey. You're willing to follow and apply. And that's what verse 34 says. Let's move on. Verse 35 says, "Make me to go in the path of thy commandments, for therein do I delight." Make me to go to go in the path of thy commandments, for therein do I delight. Now. So in the second part of the verse, the psalmist says he delights in God's commandments. His, God's commandments aren't something that he considers to be difficult or grievous or hard. He, he enjoys God's commandments. They bring him, they're a source of joy in his life. So if that's the case, if God's word is a source of joy to us, why is he asking for help from God to make him to go in his commandments? When I read it, I thought, well, that's kind of, that's kind of unusual. I mean, whenever whenever we're going out to a nice restaurant, you know, a place we really like to go, we don't have to ask for help to go to the restaurant. We don't, it's not difficult for us to go eat. So why is it that the psalmist is asking for help in something that he says he delights in? He's asking God to make him to go in the path of his commandments. One author says this This is Thomas Manton. He says, The excellency of divine grace consisteth in this. So this is the grace of God. That God doth first teach teach what is to be done and then makes us to do what is taught. So the grace of God not only teaches us, the grace of God enables us to do. You know, and that's, as a believer, that is often the experience of the believer. Lord, I love your word, but I find such a hard time doing it. So we pray like the psalmist, We all should be able to relate to this. Lord, I love your word, but I I need your help. Make me to go in your commandments. Make me to follow your word. I need God's influence in my life, and you need God's influence in your life if you're going to follow through, apply, and do what the word of God says. We all need that. And we're going to see why in just a minute. Look at 36, and this is kind of the basis of verse 35 incline my heart unto thy testimonies and not, to, and not to covetousness. Now here's, I'm gonna make a few statements. I've made these statements before based out of Psalm 119, but they, bear, they need repeating. We need, re, we need to be re, uh, reminded of this. Remember, whatever the Lord repeats, whatever he says over and over and over is something that we need to understand more and more thoroughly. Otherwise he, he would have said it once and then just moved on. Here it is. Our hearts are not naturally inclined toward God's testimonies. There are no good people. Now, that statement, if you were to say it in 90% of the churches, I'm just guessing, of Greenville, South Carolina, I have family members that go to church, that if I were to go to their church and I was to make that statement, There are no good people. They would be offended at that statement. I don't think anyone in our church, anyone at least in this crowd, would be offended at that statement. Our hearts are not inclined toward God's word. That is a fact of human existence. We are not. We have to understand that. David and I were talking before the service about the good old days. Right? And we think nostalgically about the good old days. But, you know, culturally it might have been different. It might have been more sanitized or whatnot. But there were no good men back then either. Things might have been hidden, and often they were. Things might have been suppressed and kept quiet and kept under the lid. But the men were the same. And so that gives us understanding and helps us to to think and see clearly about the good old days and about our days. This is a basic principle of God's Word and, and the doctrine of humanity. We come into this world with a default incline away from God. This verse says, incline my heart unto thy test. We come into this world the opposite direction. We do not come into this world, as if you compare it to a tree, as a tree standing at 90 degrees perpendicular to the ground. We do not come to this world like that. We come with a bent. Every one of us that is a believer in Christ lives with the If you could say the ball and chain of that bent every day of our lives, it is such a hindrance to us. We blame it on the devil, but it's really not the devil. (laughs) It's really really us. It's in us. The Bible refers to it as the sin that dwelleth in us. Therefore, the influence of God is required if our inclination is going to change. So we come into this world like this, And if we're going to lean in the direction of God and His commandments and His testimonies, His Word, the only way that's going to happen is if God Himself exerts His power and influence in our lives. And He does. That's what this is all about. The Bible, the Word of God, His Spirit, the church, all of these and and other things as well. Even the idea of our conscience, family structure. All these things are designed by God to curb that, that inclination. Now, it doesn't change who we are. Now, back a long time ago, around the time I got saved, uh, I don't know if you guys know Patrick Haddon. He's a U.S. Uh, a state representative now, but he used to be a member of our church. And I used to do, to do tree work with him. And one of, the, one of the most dangerous jobs in tree work, or one of the most maybe difficult jobs in tree work, is when you have a tree that's actually leaning over a structure that you don't want destroyed. Because trees are, am I right, Ari, very heavy. I mean, very heavy, especially a big, a big hardwood tree like an oak. Very heavy. So when you have an oak that's thousands and thousands of pounds and it's leaning even a little in a certain direction, you have to take, you have to use Herculean uh, means to get that lean to go the opposite direction so it doesn't fall on the house or the fence or whatever. Right? That's what is required in the human nature. Except I would say human nature is even worse. You can't just go cut down a tree and expect it to fall in the opposite direction. It will not happen. It, and we all are like that. We all need a powerful influence of the gospel in our life. And here's the thing. When I talk to Joshua about his, some of his uh, issues at work, and he talks about his coworker, one thing that makes a believer stand out in a, in a work environment is the fact that a Christian does have a, a godly testimony because those people that don't know God, they understand, even if they don't admit it, they understand that inclination towards sin. And so when you, when you have such an influence in your life that leans you in the opposite direction toward God and His commandments, it is so recognizable and noticeable because they know, what did your, your co-worker say? He said, I, can't, I know, I, know I, this, I shouldn't do this. I know it's not right, but I can't stop. You're, he's right. He can't. And, and listen, we don't, if we're not involved in sin like that, we have nothing to boast of. <laughs> nothing at all. We are the tree leaning over the house. If it wasn't for God and his influence on us, we'd fall right on that house. But God's power leans us the other direction. It's amazing. And it's not in us. It's it's an outside source of power working in us. Look at verse uh, 37, quick word. Turn away mine eyes from beholding vanity and quicken thou me in thy way. Just a brief word here about this verse. beholding vanity. In the Psalms, we won't go into it just for time, but just as a, just keep a mental note. When you, when you see the word vanity, of course, the, the, the meaning of vanity is this, it's emptiness. It's useless. All right. And we think of something like, you know, scrolling social media, vanity, right? Vanity. Yeah. It, it's, it's, there's a lot of vanity in there. Okay. Or just wasting your time, you know, watching TV or whatever. There's a lot of vanity. But that's not, in the Psalms, that, that's not really what it's talking about, vanity. What you see is this word vanity appears when it's talking about worthless and useless uh, actions. Sin. It's actually a reference to sin. But notice the eyes. The effect of the eyes looking at it. Listen. He's, the, the psalmist says, turn away mine eyes from looking at, at wickedness, sin, vanity. Because if we look at it, it affects us. When you see something, it's permanently imprinted on your memory. If I were to go around to each one of us and I would ask you, name, name me one thing that you've seen on TV or on the internet that is wicked, that's over five years old. You could probably do it. If you, thought, if you thought about it in a minute, you could probably do that because that stuff gets imprinted in our mind and you can't erase your memories. That's why when you go into it and, you know, that's okay. Look, it matters what we look at. It matters what we watch. It's matter what we, It matters what we put in front of our eyes because once that stuff's in our eyes, it's in our mind, it's in our heart. Lord, so we pray like the psalmist, turn away my eyes. And of course, we know the other verse uh, about about the eyes. I will set no wicked thing before mine eyes. That's the go-to verse, but that's not the only verse. Our eyes. Verse 38. Establish thy word unto thy servant who is devoted to thy fear. I love this. Establish the word. Lord, This is uh, is like saying, Lord, prove your word to be true. Not, not, not 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 as in it's not true and you're daring God to prove it, but Lord, show and demonstrate to me as an individual your faithfulness to what you said. I want to see it personally and individually that what you said is the way it is, is true, is real. Establish thy word unto thy servant. Now listen to this quote by a man named Alexander Raleigh. He says, This apparent contradiction or discrepancy is easily solved in a true experience and can be, in fact, solved in no other way. He's talking about something above. Is not this the very condition of many many, and many a one? Here's what he says. Listen to this. This is, this is really insightful. Established. Now, how many of us can say we've, we're established, we believe God's Word, we have seen God do it? Established, yet moved. Devoted, yet uncertain. Serving God truly, yet looking and longing for clear warrant and high sanction, and more inward grace to make the service better. Believing, yet crying sometimes with tears, Lord, help thou mine unbelief. You see, this word is Lord... I believe, but Lord, show it's true. Show me it's true. You see, when, when, when we live by faith and we live, and what that means is we embrace what God's word says and we act upon it. That's what, that's what living by faith means. And we do that. We live by what God says. That is living by faith. We see God make good on His word. We see God make good on his word. And when he does that, he establishes his word to us. It strengthens our faith toward matters in the future. I think of a good example of this is my children. You know, when when our kids were the age of Robert and Seth, there were people around us, there were a fair number of naysayers about the way we were trying to raise our kids. And we made plenty of mistakes, no doubt about that. Uh, Joshua probably endured the brunt of the mistakes, if the truth be known and I've told him so, and I've apologized to him as well. But the but bottom line is, we did, with clear, clear conscience and with, with all of our heart, try to raise our kids right. And according to the scripture, I mean, following the principles in God's word. And now, by God's grace, by the influence of his word, that is born fruit. So in that matter, God's word, at least to my wife and I, has been established. You see what I'm saying? It has been confirmed, displayed as true. Now, we knew it was true to begin with. That was not a question. But it's been shown and demonstrated to be true. Now, what is that going to do to our faith when we have the next decision to make? We have the next set of things that we got to, are we going to do this about our our family, or our grandchildren, or, you know, whatever might be in the future. What's gonna, well, that, I'm gonna look back at that and we'll say, well, that's what the Bible says. Look, we, we did it uh, imperfectly, but we did it and this is the result and God did what he said and now I can believe him for the next thing. God establishing his word. And sometimes we have doubt, like the man that was quoted. Lord, I believe, help thou mine unbelief. I've said that to God in prayer and trials in my life. You probably have too. We can, be, we can have that doubt creep into us and into our hearts on a multitude of issues and matters in our lives. And we can ask God, Lord, I'm devoted. I'm devoted. I don't get it. I have doubt. I don't know where the doubt is from. I have skepticism. I don't know where it's from. But Lord, I'm stuck to thy testimonies as we read the other week. I'm devoted to your fear. So establish your word. When the word is performed in part, it assureth us of the performance of the whole. Another quote there. Amen. God establishes one word. It builds our confidence and strengthens our faith for all the rest of his word. That's how he establishes it unto us. Now look at verse number 43. Just so you know, just a mental note, our memory verses for this week, uh, unless you want to do a different one in this set of uh, under Vav forty one to forty eight is verse forty three or verse forty five. All right, so there you go. I will I like verse forty five, so you'll see why in a minute. Verse forty-three says this And take not the word of truth utterly out of my mouth, for I have hoped in thy judgments. So shall I keep keep thy law continually forever and ever. Word of truth the word of truth. You know, in Psalm 119, we started our study of Psalm 119. I'm sorry, I I misspoke. In Psalm 19, remember we read that to begin in our study of Psalm 119. The Bible is described as perfect, sure, right, and true. You know, that's quite a bold claim for God to say of His word. Right? Now, To God, it's not bold, obviously, but you think about for a book to say it's true and everything it touches, for a book, listen now, for a book to say this is true concerning everything it speaks. I mean, that's a bold statement. Now, only God himself could be behind that. And over and over, God says of his word, "This this is true, this is true, this is true. I'll read one example in Psalm 111, which is just right down the street from where we are now. Verse number 7. Psalm 111, verse 7 says this. The works of His hands, of the Lord's hands, are verity and judgment. All His commandments are sure. They stand fast forever and ever. They and are done in truth and uprightness. So the word of God is sure, it's true. What it says is, listen now, is a declaration of fact, of reality. That's what it means, truth. Not only that, but one of the names of the word of God is the word of truth. So not only is it true, but the word of God is called the word of truth. Listen to these verses. In 2 Corinthians 6, 7, it says, By the word of truth, by the power of God, by the armor of righteousness on the right hand and on the left. Ephesians 1, 13 says this, In whom ye also trusted, after that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Verse 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15. Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. James 1.18, Of his own will begat he us with the, what? Word of truth. Old Testament, New Testament. A statement of the veracity of God's word. Now look at verse 44 again. So shall I keep thy law continually. Let's read both of them again. And take not the word of truth utterly out of my mouth, for I have hoped in thy judgments. So shall I keep thy law continually forever and ever. So the psalmist says, I'm going to keep your law if the word of truth is in my mouth. That's what he's saying. So the effect of the word of truth being in his mouth is that he obeys the Lord. Now, There's a connection made between the word of truth in the mouth and keeping God's law. So here's the principle. The word of God will keep us from sin. Now, I know you know that. This is not new information. When we're staying in God's word and reading it, sometimes, in this case, even out loud, in my mouth, it will enable us to keep His word continually. Ephesians 5.26 says this, that he might sanctify the church and cleanse it, the church, with the washing of water by the word. So the word of God has a cleansing effect upon us. In other words, it'll clean up your life. So if we stay in the word of God, if we read the word of God, the effect of it will be, it will start to clean up our life. When it's in our mouth, it'll keep us, in His law, following His law and His commandments continually. This is, this is another reason why we should be reading our Bibles. We should be spending time in God's Word. Now, verse 45. We're getting ready to close here, but look at this. And I will walk at liberty, for I seek thy precepts. Liberty. A very misunderstood, misused term. Imagine walking down a pathway. You have a path here. I'm thinking of Cambodia, a dirt path, because there were so many of those in Cambodia. And on the right-hand side and on the left-hand side are these, what are they called, these holly bushes. I forgot they're called like high-point holly bushes. They used to be in my front yard. They're annoying. Their roots are deep, and they're hard to get up. I'm still picking out little holly bushes that want to come back up in my flower bed. You have a holly bush on the right and on the left. And if you know that if you brush up against that holly bush, it hurts. And it scrapes your arms and legs and tears your clothes. You're hedged in. Now listen, you're walking down that path. To the man that walks down that path, who has a desire to be on the path. You know what? He finds perfect liberty. The holly bushes on this side and on that side are no grief to him. You know why? Because he's on the path and that's, all, that's where he wants to be. So the, the presence of the holly bushes is not a problem to him. He says, no, I'm good. This is perfectly liberating. He walks in liberty. However, to the man who does not desire to walk in the path, the holly bushes are his prison. They hedge him in and prevent him from doing his desire to leave the path. They're a a grief, a constant pain. Now, I want to ask you a question. What's the difference between the man who wants to be on the path and who feels perfect liberty? He doesn't feel hemmed in. He doesn't feel like everybody's judging me. He doesn't feel like, oh, I, I have so many rules. He doesn't feel that way. What's the difference? The difference is... The heart's desire to be on the path. That's it. Holly bushes haven't moved. Those represent God's Word. God's Word is not changing for you. It's not changing for me. It's not changing for the obedient believer. And it's not changing for the disobedient believer. It says what it says, period. The holly bushes aren't moving. But to the man that wants to constantly get out of the way and and go against what God's Word says, it's painful. It's painful. This is what it means to walk in liberty. Liberty doesn't mean... Hear what I'm going to say, if you would. Liberty is not the freedom to do whatever we want. Not in America, not anywhere in the world. That's not liberty. That's called license. It's different. Liberty is the joy of doing God's will. When you're walking down God's path and you with all your heart want to keep His word and love Him and walk with Him, His commandments are not some prison that you live in. And if you feel like God's word is a prison to you, and many people do, maybe because of things they felt in the past or whatever, experience, many people feel that way. But if, if that thought comes in our mind, well, this is so, so, this is so prison, so many rules. If you feel that, now I know this can be abused. Man-made rules can be placed in place of God's word. I, I acknowledge that. But if we feel this way about God's word, then we only need to look at our own heart. That's the reality of it. Because God already told us that his commandments are not Grievous. They're not a difficult burden to bear to the man that's walking down the path. The holly bushes, just something to look at. They don't hurt him. Lastly is verse 46. I will speak of thy testimonies also before kings and will not be ashamed. Let me encourage you. I will speak of thy testimonies also before kings. I want to encourage you, and I'm saying this to myself as well. You see, this is holy resolve by faith. I want to challenge you to say this to yourself in the sight of God. I will speak of God and His Word to others. I dare dare you to do it. To resolve, a holy resolve, not Trusting in yourself or bragging or anything? No, no, no. I will speak of God's word to others. I'm going to do that. If the king needs it that's, what it, that's what he said, right? To the king, he will speak of God's testimony to the king. If the king needs it, it's the king all the way down. So whether someone's a beggar, the down and out, or whether someone's, a, whether someone's a, an uppity person. Lots of money, prestige, whatever. Let us be bold enough to speak God's testimony to them and not be ashamed. See, because that shame is what causes us to back off, to shrink away, to hesitate. Shame, it's nothing other than shame. is the reason we close our lips. Spurgeon said this, he had already most fittingly preceded this resolve with a declaration in the previous verse, I will walk, but he does not make his personal conduct an excuse for sinful silence. For he adds, I will speak. See that? I will speak. So I want to encourage you and encourage myself. Lord, help us to open our mouth. Lord, help us have holy resolve. I will speak. I will tell other people about the Lord, even if they're a a cut above or, you know, someone of importance. I will speak. Let's pray.